All right, let's take those Bibles that you brought with you, or your phone or iPad. Let's go to Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and that would come right after the book of Proverbs. So if you get to Psalms, then to the move to the right, you'll find Proverbs, and then you'll find Ecclesiastes. If you need a Bible today, Charlie's in the back. He'd be glad to share a copy of the Word we keep in the back, just in case you might need that. There is a note page in your bulletin if you would retrieve that as well. And church family, as I ask you to do all of that, I feel like today we are meeting up once again with an old friend from whom we have been separated for some time. And we have been apart for a little while because we've been doing other things, missions week, and and then last week was Mother's Day. And so here we are, Ecclesiastes, we're back in the book. It certainly has become an old friend as we've been sharing it together in this series entitled Making Sense of Life Under the Sun. I have literally by now spent hundreds of hours with this book, so it very much is feeling like an old friend to me. But we have been away from each other for a little while. It's time to get back together again, which means making our way to the end of chapter 9 all the way through chapter 10 and a little bit into chapter 11 this morning. And I know what you're thinking already. You're thinking, there's no way, Pastor Tim. I've been here for years. You have never covered that much ground in a single morning. It's not going to happen. Well, maybe it can. We can be hopeful together, right? So remember that we are reading the Diary of Solomon, a man who is on a search. In fact, we could call it a desperate search, a search to answer the question, how does a person find genuine meaning and purpose and deep satisfaction and fulfillment in this life? How does one really enjoy this life to its fullest? Now, that's a great question, and we all ask it sooner or later as we do life. And what makes Ecclesiastes such a a fascinating and challenging book for us is, is the way that Solomon chooses to, to answer this question. He takes what we have come to call an under-the-sun approach. And if you've been with us, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Can life really hold meaning and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction if one just looks and lives under the sun? Can that happen? Leave God out? And just try to extract from this life what it has to offer? Is that going to happen? No, it's not going to happen. You're telling me it's not going to happen. For nine chapters, we have walked with Solomon as he has peeled back life's layers looking for this elusive purpose and deep satisfaction. And time after time after time, he has been bitterly disappointed, repeatedly resounding with this refrain, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, under the sun, everything is meaningless, and a chasing after the wind. We've heard him say that over and over in his under-the-sun search. It's empty if that's where you can find your look for a meaningful, satisfying, purpose-filled life. And so that's the conclusion that that the wisest man who's ever lived is coming to. He's been moving in this direction. And we would heartily agree with him. Life doesn't take on real purpose and lasting satisfaction until one goes above the sun, right? Got to go above the sun and you got to bring God into the picture. Live above the sun and that is, is where you will find the deep, satisfying life that you're longing for. 
Any soul that is searching, who is frustrated, despairing, empty, will find a meaningful life, but you've got to go above the sun for that to happen. Now Solomon is confirming that truth for us as we accompany him on his journey, on his search. So those of us who are wise are going to learn from Solomon's empty search and, and not foolishly repeat the painful lessons he's been learning. Therein lies the great value of the book of Ecclesiastes for us. If we're wise, we're going to learn from Solomon. If we're not wise, if we're foolish, we will sadly but surely duplicate his empty journey. Interestingly enough, it is the wise person and the fool who come now to occupy Solomon's thinking as we take up now the last few verses of chapter 9 and what follows in chapter 10 and on into 11. In a way, this section of Ecclesiastes is going to form a kind of a buffer between nine chapters of looking in all the wrong places for a meaningful life And then chapters 11 and 12 where Solomon finally will put it all together and he'll go above the sun to stay. And I can't wait to get there. But in order to get there, we need to do a little bit of work through this section first, which quite frankly may be the most difficult portion of the book of Ecclesiastes to make sense of if you were just to read it straight through. And maybe you did that as you saw where we were going this morning. Maybe you took the time to read that and you're saying, wow. This is all over the place. It seems like this section kind of just hangs loosely together with no apparent theme. A collection of proverbs and and earthy truths that seem to kind of go every which way. And yet, church family, there is a theme that runs through this portion. Solomon's world under the sun is a broken world. And he laments that it is this way messed up and badly broken. Of course, we would say the same thing about our world, wouldn't we? We would say, man, our world is badly broken. No matter where we look, we see the brokenness politically from local to national government. Man, it's broken, isn't it? It's broken. Judicially, We look at our world and we say, man, it's broken as evidenced by the laws of our land. The laws that have recently, just in the last few years that have been passed, reveal ours is a broken world. Morally, there's, there's brokenness, rampant addiction, violence, mass shootings, epic immorality. Socially, racial divides just seem to widen more and more and more. It's broken. Our culture Our world socially is broken. Family and marriage disintegrating before our eyes amidst all of the gender confusion of our day. It's a broken world under the sun. And we would all acknowledge that, I am sure. And so Solomon laments his broken world. And that's kind of the theme that underlies this whole section. But he's going to lament this broken world of his, and he's going to do so in what we might call a proverbial way or with proverbs, using short truth statements in which he draws contrast between wisdom and foolishness. Because for Solomon, Solomon, so much of our world's brokenness is the direct result of people ignoring God's wisdom and playing the fool. 
Now, not surprisingly, because Solomon was, according to the Bible, the wisest person who has ever lived, uh, he would say that, yeah, that, that's to be expected. You don't live by God's wisdom, it's going to be a broken world. Now, one of the neat things about this section, even though it is challenging for us to bring it all together, is that there really is going to be something for everybody here this morning. There is some issue that Solomon is going to take up in these moments that we share that we can all relate to, we can all use and benefit from. Now, because this section is packaged in this proverbial form, we can't really tackle it verse by verse, which is what we are used to doing as we handle God's word here. It requires that we really take on the points that, that Solomon tries to bring out. And those can sometimes be separated and scattered across the Bible page today. But we're going to do that. We're going to bring together the points that Solomon wishes to make. You'll see that kind of reflected on the, on the note page that you have in front of you. We must extract the truths and then bring those truths together. And when we do that, we begin to see that just as Solomon has been doing for nine chapters, though in a different form, he's going to continue to do today. He's going to lament the broken world that he lives in. He's just going to do it a little bit differently than he has before. And one of the things that he's going to lament, if you look at your note page now, the first one of these is he's going to lament the fact that those who should be honored are dishonored in a broken world. That pains Solomon. It bothers him as it does us. It's not right. It's not fair. Those who should be honored are often dishonored. Verse 13, chapter 9. I have also seen this example of wisdom. Where, church? Under the sun. And it seemed great to me. There was a little city with, a, with, with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. Those who should be honored are dishonored in a broken world. Now, there's no record of this particular event in Scripture of some small village about to be flattened by a a massive army and then delivered at the 11th hour by the wisdom of one poor man. However, Solomon says, I've seen that in my world. He notes how imminent disaster can be averted through sound wisdom, through clear thinking and, and careful thought. And this impresses Solomon. But what really catches his attention was the fact that even though this man had single-handedly delivered the city, no one remembers him. No one honors him or cares about him. They have all forgotten about him. Although wisdom proved to be a lifesaver, it was not valued. And Solomon hates that thought. It's just one more frustration for him under the sun. Skillful living, a God-imparted capacity to choose the right course of action in life's maze of options. The virtue of wisdom isn't appreciated. In fact, it might be popularly rejected. Verse 16, But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, And his words are not heard. Those who should be honored are not honored. 
He laments that in his broken world. He returns to the same idea if you go into chapter 10 and you find verses 5, 6, and 7. Here's what he says. There is an evil that I have seen. Where? Under the sun. As it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in low places. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Those who should be honored often are dishonored. It's the way it is in a broken world. Now, we see this brokenness in our times in a variety of different ways. Um, For example... Every year at the Oscars, think about that for a moment. We lavish honor and we lavish praise and we lavish wealth on those whose talent is to be someone other than they really are. That's what we do every year at the Oscars, right? Even as tens of thousands amongst us go unrecognized as they work at rescue missions or at soup kitchens, or they put on military uniforms and they fight and sometimes die in faraway places, or they protect the abused and defenseless children, or or care for the elderly. That's upside down, isn't it? Those who should be honored are often dishonored, but that's the way it is in a broken world. And Solomon laments that. As Solomon laments this, he says next by way of proverb that it only takes a little foolishness to destroy much good in a broken world. That's verse 18 of chapter 9, verse 1 of chapter 10. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Both of these verses are essentially saying the same thing. Wisdom might actually avert war. It could produce uh, something that's very enjoyable and bring great blessing. But in a broken world, it only takes a little bit of folly to do great damage. We're all aware of that, aren't we? We live in this fallen world. Now, folly is a term we don't use a whole lot today, but it basically means the lack of good common sense, a a lack of foresight, a failure to realize consequences of an act before the act is committed. That's folly. Like the little fly who falls into the perfume and rots there and and ruins the whole container, so a little tiny bit of folly can can bring much scandal and, and ruin. Ask a president by the name of Nixon and an incident called Watergate. A little bit of folly brings a whole lot of ruin. Ask the young teenage girl who thought she wouldn't get pregnant who is now with a, with a little child and, and the guy's long gone. A little bit of carelessness, a little bit of folly can bring great trouble. Ask the foolish pastor who thought he could not fall into moral indiscretion But he does, devastating a church family and and damaging the witness of the true gospel. It only takes a little foolishness to destroy much good in a broken world. And in a broken world, Solomon laments as well, those who speak the loudest and the longest are the ones who get heard. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's what he says in verses 16, in verse 17 of chapter 9. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. 
As Solomon reflects, he says, A wise advisor may quietly offer sound, accurate advice, but smooth rhetoric that is emotionally delivered, that's what a lot of people are going to gravitate to. The reality of this can be easy, easily proven by just going back in history a little ways, back to Germany in the 1930s. An entire nation, if you remember and you know your history, an entire nation swallowed up the false doctrine of Aryan supremacy by, by one shouting man whose name was Adolf Hitler. Remember this? Yeah? Wisdom refused to be heard to the foolish and to the disenchanted masses in Germany in the 1930s Hitler was much more captivating and interesting and and appealing. And he yelled a lot. He's a great example as well of how one fool can destroy much good. Plunging the world into war, as we noted just a moment ago. In chapter 10, verses 12 to 14, Solomon adds this. He says, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. But the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. The end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell what will be after him? The fool doesn't know what he's talking about. From beginning to end, he doesn't know what's going on. But he talks long enough. He talks loud enough. In a broken world, he's going to win a following. Solomon laments that and then he observes as well that in a broken world dangers and uncertainties abound at every turn would you agree yeah now this is in fact one of solomon's most painful and persistent struggles he's talked about this numerous times we have visited this over the many weeks of our study of ecclesiastes in chapter 10 verse 9 he who quarries stones is hurt by them he who splits logs is endangered by them. This is a broken world. It's not safe. Tell us something we don't know already, Solomon. Earlier in chapter 9, in fact, the last time we were in this book together, we spent a whole morning talking about this very truth, that dangers and uncertainties abound. Do you remember how Solomon packaged this? Verse 12 of chapter 9. For a man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. And we say, yep, that's exactly the way that it works in a broken world. Dangers and uncertainties abound at every turn. As do authorities who should lead and bless, but often do not. Solomon speaks to this in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 10. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Solomon says it's a broken world. Guess who pays the price when your king or your president or your governor acts like a child? Your, your rulers carry on like small children. Guess who gets to pay the price for that? Who? <laughs> All of us, right? All of us. In a broken world, that's the way it is. The foolish leader cares only for himself. He prefers to party rather than to lead. Woe to you, land, when a ruler who acts like a child leads you. Plays the part of the fool. Everyone else gets to pay for that. 
But when people are, are blessed with a wise ruler, they prosper. Its leaders are self-controlled. They do their jobs. No wonder, brothers and sisters, we're admonished repeatedly in the New Testament in multiple places. Romans 13, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. We are admonished to pray for our leaders and remember in prayer those who are in authority over us. In fact, your bulletin this morning on the back panel where every week we outline some suggested prayer points for you, the morning is dedicated to, to remembering our, our political arena our leaders who are over us, and pray for them. Boy, they need our prayers, if for no other reason than to help them avoid being foolish, right? Acting like children. If we're wise, we'll pray for our leaders and those in authority because that benefits us as well. And then one more thing Solomon laments about his broken world in this, in this place is that things said or done in private too often become public. Would you agree with that? (laughs) Verse 20. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Now, my guess is that Solomon, being a king himself, was often frustrated by broken confidences. Things that were supposed to stay private didn't stay private, or I'm sure that as a king he was brought information that he wasn't supposed to know, but somebody brought it to him anyway. Do you know what this expression, uh, a bird of the air carrying your voice? There's a a phrase that is popular in our time. A little bird told me. You familiar with that phrase? Yeah, it's what someone says uh, to a, a person who responds when, when asked by another, how did you know that? Hey, you're not supposed to know that. How did you know that? And they say, oh, a little bird told me. That expression comes right out of verse 20. Don't you hate it when people say that too? That drives you crazy. They won't tell you where they got the information that they shouldn't have in the first place. Solomon says that's the way it is in a broken world. He says that the wise exercise great discretion. They exercise self-control. The fool once again just lets his tongue go and it gets him, trouble, gets him in trouble because he's critical of others and he can't keep a confidence. The modern day wise and godly person knows how, how to keep those kinds of thoughts close to the vest, mindful of the New Testament counterpart to verse 20, which I would suggest is Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful, only what is helpful for building others up according to their need that it may benefit those who listen. That's how it ought to be. But in a broken world, it's not like that. In fact, to quote the philosophy of a little bunny rabbit by the name of Thumper in the Disney movie Bambi, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. That's verse 20, isn't it? That really is. That's wise advice for anyone living in a broken world. And speaking of wisdom for a broken world, if you flip that little note page over, Solomon's not all dark clouds here and sour grapes. It's not all that. He does manage to salt this large section of his diary with some, some godly counsel and advice born out of his wisdom and his experience. It's also Holy Spirit inspired, by the way. And it would be our loss if we did not hear the wisdom 
that is contained within these, these words. Wisdom for a broken world. Several times in various ways, for example, he exhorts us to apply wisdom continually to our actions and our speech. That's wise counsel in a broken world. We heard that in chapter 9, verse 16. But I say that wisdom is what? Better than might. In verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Now, that's not how our culture thinks. That's not how our world thinks because it's broken. No, it's broken. It doesn't value wisdom. That's a heavenly value. Power and force and big guns. Boy, those are the values of a broken world. In chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Wisdom and folly are an issue of the heart. A wise person goes God's way. A fool doesn't do that. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, What, church? There's no God. There's no one to whom I'm accountable to. It's just me. That's a fool. He refuses to go God's way, as opposed to the wise person who inclines his heart to the right way and to do what is right, and that his choices are rooted in wisdom, godly wisdom. In verse 3, Solomon says, You can pick the fool out a mile away. Just watch him for a little while. He'll prove what he is really about. In verse 12, he says, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. In the New Testament, we are told that if we can just control one little muscle in our body, one little three-ounce muscle, we can control every other part of our, of our life. Do you know what that three-ounce muscle is? <laughs> it's our tongue, isn't it? It's our tongue. That's the muscle. Control that, and you can control anything. And wisdom helps us to do that. And so the real question becomes, how do I lay hold of this wisdom that has so many benefits, and how do I put as much distance as I can between me and being a fool? You know what the answer, the Bible's answer to that question is, church? Just ask God for it. Ask God for his wisdom. Well, that isn't complicated, is it? It's, it's, it's James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should what? Ask God. That makes perfect sense. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. That's God's promise. His promise only given to those who love him through faith in the Lord Jesus as we celebrated a few moments ago here around the communion table. The promise belongs to the follower of Jesus. We're invited to approach him and humbly ask him for the the power of his spirit resident within us to give us the skills, spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, the wisdom that will enable us to live effectively for God in a broken world. Apply wisdom continually to your actions and your speech. That not only honors God, that's to our benefit as well. As will the next bit of wise counsel. Demonstrate quiet humility and self-control, especially in times of adversity. That's good counsel in in a broken world. It's verse 4 of chapter 10. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place For, what's the next word? 
Calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There may well be times when running away looks like the best thing to do. Solomon would say, wisdom doesn't run. He has in view here a ruler or a powerful authority who's not happy with you. We might better think today, just as a context, uh, maybe a hot-tempered boss. Maybe that's what you've got. You've got, you got a hot-tempered boss who's not happy with you. And Solomon says, don't quit your job in a huff. Don't turn your boss's anger uh, into your anger against him. Be wise. Stay calm. Be in control. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 1, Solomon writes these words. A soft answer turns away what? Wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. That's just another way to say what we just said a moment ago. Wisdom will respond with quiet control and composure, and there will be a very good chance of disarming the ruler or the boss or the angry neighbor or whatever the situation is. Wise people keep it together. The fool, well, he just lets fly whatever's on the tip of his tongue, and things go from bad to worse, and then the fool scratches his head and wonders, I wonder what happened. Why did it turn out like that? Solomon extols humility and patience in a broken world. Choose this kind of wisdom. And remember that evil intent carries its own built-in justice. That's verse 8 of chapter 10. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Now, obviously, Solomon has more in mind here than digging holes and tearing down walls, doesn't he? He's thinking about the fool who acts with evil intentions. In view is one who would dig a pit for somebody else to fall into. We call that setting somebody up, right? That's what we call that. The pit is intended to make someone look bad or injure them or embarrass them or discredit them. Solomon says only a fool does that because sooner or later that person's going to do what? Fall into the pit they dug for somebody else. It's going to happen. It's part of the justices that, that, that God builds into his world. Someone breaks through a wall to get something that doesn't belong to them. That's why it's behind the wall. But they want it. The fool wants it. And so he throws caution to the wind. And he's going he's gonna to exploit that if he can. Be warned, says Solomon, there's a viper hiding behind that wall. You break through, it's going to bite you. That's the built-in consequence of greed and and foolishness. The New Testament complement to this bit of wise counsel might be Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. You know these words, church. Do not be deceived. And what is the next phrase? No, God is never mocked. You can't mock him. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You dig the hole, you're going to fall into it. You break through the wall, you're going to get bit. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God refuses to be messed with, right? He builds consequences into his world for those who are determined to be foolish. And he builds blessing into his world for those who will be wise. Good counsel for a broken world. And in a broken world, wisdom says, be diligent, work smart, 
plan and take action because it's going to pay off. The wise know this. The fool has no clue. In chapter 10, verse 18, through sloth, the the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. If you're going to be lazy, you better be ready to get wet, right? That's the fool's, that's the fool's story. You put off and you put off and you procrastinate. And what do you know? The roof leaks. The fool doesn't get it. Verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Solomon says the fool exhausts himself with his own lazy, unproductive lifestyle, so out of touch he can't even follow the road signs back to town. Today we would say the fool would get lost on an escalator. That's the thought, right? It's a picture of a person who makes things very difficult because of their careless sloth and laziness. And they have no one to blame but themselves, Solomon would say. Verse 10 of chapter 10 makes the same point. If the iron or the axe is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use what? More strength. You're going to have to work harder. The fool ends up working twice as hard for half the return because he didn't wet the edge of his work ethic with wisdom before he started the project. But wisdom helps one to succeed, says verse 10. The wise are diligent and they work smart. They think ahead. The wise person thinks through what what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. The axe is going to be sharp. Verse 11 says the very same thing, just a different way. If a serpent bites you before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. It won't do you any good to talk about to people about how you can charm the snake if the snake's already bitten you, right? You're not going to get anybody to follow you. Do the first thing first. Plan ahead. Charm the snake. That's wise, isn't it? More practically for us today, maybe we just say, could there be a a, a snake in a basket that is threatening you right now? Could that be something that you know you should do, but you've been putting it off, avoiding it? Don't wait till you get bit, Solomon would say. That's not wise. That's foolish. Be wise. Over in chapter 11, verses 3 through 6, same call to diligent wisdom and action. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. In other words, there are things that are out of our control in this broken world. We agree? There's things that are out of our control. You don't control the weather. The tree's going to fall when it's going to fall, where it's going to fall. You can't control that. Verse 4, he who observes the wind, if you just focus on those clouds, you're not going to sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. So the fool puts it off because he sees things that scare him. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Verse 6, in the morning sow your seed, at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What's What's the counsel? 
In a broken world, be diligent, work smart, plan, and take action. Make your own world better, and by so doing, you will in some small measure make the broken world better. That's good counsel. Verse 19 of chapter 10. In a broken world, we will be wise to delight in what God gives us. Verse 19 is a contrast to what we see in verse 18, which again reads like this. Through sloth, the roof sinks. Through indolence, the house leaks. Verse 19, but bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens the heart and money answers everything. Now we read that and we all go what? (laughs) Time out. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. What Solomon's doing, though, his thought is that in contrast to the lazy fool, the wise person, as they exercise diligence and hard work, like we just talked about, those are the ones who get to enjoy the feast. They get to experience the merriment, and they earn money, which allows them to acquire the things that make life enjoyable. The one thing that we know here is Solomon is not saying that money is the answer to everything. Now, why do we know that? Well, back in chapter 5, we spent a whole morning as Solomon lamented the fact that he gave his fullest and best energy to becoming rich, only to find that it didn't lead to a meaningful life. 5.10, money never satisfies when it's looked to to be the answer to your life. We agree with that, right? That's the truth. We cannot deny Delight and be thankful for what God gives, even in a broken world. There's a lot to be enjoyed. There's a lot of good that God gives us. Let's be thankful for it. And then, and then from what out of God gives us, one more thought, be generous, be a giving person. In a broken world, this can go a long, long ways. It's the first two verses of chapter 11. In verse 1, Solomon says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. You familiar with these words? Yeah? Yeah, there's a song that's actually, I think, has, has these lyrics. This is a figure of speech, really, from Solomon's time. It's the picture of a ship loaded with grain that leaves port, and then it travels the trade route. And, then, and it only returns, but it takes a while. It returns loaded with more than it left with. That's the idea. That's the picture. Let go of what you have, and in time it will come back. Be generous. And to make sure we don't miss that truth, he follows it up with verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. In other words, be a generous and giving person to as many as you can and then some. Don't be miserly. Don't hold on tightly to your stuff because you're unsure or fearful about the future and you're you're saying, oh, I need to hold on to this just in case I'm going to need it. Solomon says, do just the opposite of that. Be generous precisely because you do not know what tomorrow might bring. Some sudden disaster could come and you could experience great loss. So be generous. Give now because should something unforeseen come upon you, you'll become the object of generosity by those who you were generous to. You follow his thinking? You follow that? Yeah? They'll remember your generosity and you'll be taken care of. The bread will come back, Solomon says. Be generous. In a broken world, be generous. So, church family, we do live in a broken world and there's no denying that and we could if we chose to. 
We could spend our time lamenting it, lamenting that that's the way it is. But far better for us if we take the wisdom of God, which is generously supplied to us here in his word, and we apply that wisdom consistently to all that we do, to all that we say. And yet, for all of Solomon's wisdom, for all of his insight, born of his frustrating search for a meaningful, fulfilling, satisfying life, the best wisdom and advice for how to live and navigate in a broken world comes not from Solomon, but from God himself, from the Lord Jesus himself. On the night before he went to the cross to pay the sin debt that we owed God, dying in our place, rising from the dead, on the eve of his incredible sacrifice, what does Jesus say? He says this in John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. It's a broken world. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the best wisdom of all, isn't it? That's the best counsel of all. The world is broken, but Jesus is greater than this world. He promises to restore the broken relationship between us and God that sin has has produced. And then when we put our trust fully and completely in him, he enables us to live for him in his strength, in his wisdom, in his confidence. And what's the result? Peace. His peace. No matter how broken the world might get. Jesus really is hope for this broken world. You agree? Is he your hope today? Is he your hope today? Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, you are our hope, Lord Jesus. We have no other hope but you. There is no other hope for this broken world but you. We know it full well. We've given our lives to you because that is true. Lord Jesus, how we thank you for turning um, a world that is, is, is broken by sin, turning that into uh, a world that can, can know freedom, forgiveness, relationship with you through faith. How we thank you that you have overcome a broken world. You've transformed our worlds by what you have done. We tell you that we love you but it's only because you loved us first. Would you please, by your power, by your spirit, by your word, through wisdom that you would supply, Lord, would you enable us to show a broken world how to live well, to live with you. Make it so. For your honor and for your glory, we pray it. And all God's people said, amen Amen. and amen. Let's stay in church.